Oh. Well, my name is Wayne Randolph, and I am one of the members of the teaching team here at Liminal Church of Ventura. I'm also one of your pastors. And if you are new here today or online, um, you have shown up on the second Sunday of a brand new series where we are exploring the system of shalom. And in particular, um, after we're done exploring it or defining it and at least getting a grasp on it, the goal, um, I hope, from all of us on the teaching team is to present our community with ways in which we can participate in the restoration of shalom and putting things back together. To remind you guys from last week, our definition of shalom is a flourishing and abundant relationship with God, with each other, with the created world, nature, and with ourselves. It's a flourishing and abundant relationship not lacking anything. In the text, in the Bible, the first three chapters of Genesis prior to what's known as the fall of man, we get a glimpse of God's intention for creation. We get a glimpse of what many have called and what I for sure will call the original blessing. Long before the original sin, long before the problem and a solution, we were given the original blessing, the goodness. And it was a good relationship for all, where everything fit, everything belonged, everything has purpose, everything has a spark of the divine. I'll probably use that phrase a handful of times, so I'll pause so that, yeah. I try to give you as much notes as possible, too. I'm so sorry. They're laughing because they know I don't do that. <laughs> oh. Well, today's sermon uh, lesson is entitled, Everything and Everyone Belong. Is that me? Beards. Parenthetically there, another title, Our Participatory Universe. <laughs> Sorry. Today's going to be a blending of kind of a traditional Sunday. Is that me? Can I just not walk? Okay. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan. The microphone doesn't belong? It's right here. Hold on. <laughs> We're pretty close, guys. I don't know if you know about us. I could tell you about the first time I met Dan on an airplane to Guatemala, but I won't. Are we, are we good? I'm just standing there the whole time. I can speak loud. Can we use this? Oh, you're so close, dude. I have coffee breath, dude. Sorry. <laughs> uh, we're going to try it? Yeah, thanks, Dan. Dan to the rescue. Thank you. 
Um, so today's going to be a, kind of a blend of a traditional teaching Sunday, if you will, um, but also a, a little bit kind of a, a hybrid, if you will, um, with our contemplative Sundays. So for those of you uh, that may not know or you're new, um, part of the rhythm here at our church at Liminal is the end of each month we have a contemplative uh, time, a contemplative service where um, we pause and slow down a little bit and maybe not be so quick to exegete the text or to listen for understanding, but really to allow it to just permeate inside of us. So today's going to be a mix of both. And the reason why uh, is this. Um, Tuesday morning, about 5.30, I had to get out of here. And I think I've been fairly transparent enough with you guys from up front, some of you more so in one-to-one -one conversations, but I've been in a funk. I have been in a depression. I have been in that grieving process, and it's just compounded, and it's been really hard lately. And um, in true Wayne fashion, um, I, I reached out to a handful of close friends and said, hey, let's go do this little trip. And because they are responsible adults and have real jobs and stuff, none of them were available to come with me on my trip. Uh, and so I kind of did my norm, which was like, okay, cool, we'll just scramble and we'll find another weekend or another weekend. And it just, it never, it never worked. And so I finally sat there and was true to what was going on inside of me and knew that I needed to get out, and so I left on my own. Only reason I bring that up uh, is because that's not something that I do. I'm not the kind of person that goes and does things alone. So I went and did an alone road trip for a few days this week. And I went out into the wilderness, into the desert. And before that makes me sound too religious, I want you to know, full disclosure, after my experience in the desert and the wilderness, I ended up in Las Vegas by myself. <laughs> And that's a fun other story for later, especially when you don't have to interact with anybody. Don't talk to anybody other than to like buy your hot dog or your buffet or whatever it is. But in the wilderness, uh, in the desert, which was one of my dad's favorite places, uh, one of the things I did was I took his ashes and I had some, some time out there uh, with him. And it really got me thinking a lot about what we're talking about today. And then on top of it, friends, and I should have included this in my PowerPoint, I should have had this picture up for you, but I discovered just outside of Barstow, just past Calico Ghost Town, and just before Lake Dolores, anybody old enough to remember Lake Dolores off the 15? Right there, back in the desert, about five miles on a dirt road, is an old, well, it's not that old, <laughs> is an Eastern Orthodox monastery a Greek monastery, St. Anthony's. And I had some good time there, and uh, I'm inviting you guys in to participate in some of what I was looking at this week for us, for our community, for you guys. Because today, after talking about the system of shalom last week, today I'm creating another pot with soil there's going to be a total of three of them. i got another one to create next week. And these pots with the soil are for my teachers. And they're for them to take and, and take this, this series to another place, right? And so I'm creating these three containers by which they can throw their seeds in and water and grow some stuff for y'all. But the second container today is panentheism. 
Most of y'all know I'm a former classroom teacher, so could I get y'all to say that word with me? Panentheism? Panentheism. Panentheism. Not to be confused with pantheism, which we will unpack here in a second. But let me just tell you really quick how this is going to go down. I've got a couple quotes up front from some theologians um, about panentheism. Uh, Maybe those of you that have grown up in the evangelical tribe, you have used a phrase, um, uh, omnipresent, that God is everywhere. Today I want to explore what are the implications of that. What does that mean? What does that mean for our world? What does that mean for the way that we respond to the world? What does that mean for the way that I interact with you? The way that you interact with me? Where is this thing going? And then after that, I'm going to present you and us with a bunch of verses that I had a fantastic time sitting with in the quiet and freezing cold of the desert. (laughs) But we're going to sit with it for a little bit, and I hope that you can come to some good conclusions on your own. So with that, let me get into this first quote from Father Thomas Keating who's a Trappist monk, and he's also responsible, or at least uh, the, the art of centering prayer is attributed to Thomas Keating. And here's his quote on pan, panentheism. So pantheism is usually defined as the identification of God with creation in such a way that the two are indistinguishable. Panentheism means that God is present in all creation by virtue of his omnipresence and omnipotence, sustaining every creature and being without being identified with any creature. The latter understanding is what Jesus seems to have been describing when he prays that all might be one, Father, as we are one, and that they may also be in us. Before I move on to this next quote, I just realized I put these things um, backwards. So I think those quotes are probably at the end. I'm sorry. Right on. Cool. (laughs) I tweak things in the morning. So pantheism is an idea that God is in everything, that God is everything. Um, When I went through a rebellious stage, uh, rebelling against my father and his religion and his God, Um, I, for a while, was very interested in in my late teens and early 20s in something known as Baha'i, the Baha'i faith. And something that was very appealing, appealing about Baha'i, was this idea that God was in everything, that God was everything. But even then, there was something about that that didn't resonate with me. There was something about that that didn't seem to sit. Uh, And I think through experience and study, but... uh, I think this quote really helps us to to see the the delineation between God being everything as opposed to God being so intimately and relationally close that he is actively in and moving through things, but he does not identify with the thing. It might be just a small nuance for some of you. You might be just ready for the next slide, but for some of us, I think we just need to sit there for a second. Because what I am not saying is that God is everything. 
what I am coming to the conclusion is that God is so close that he is inactively moving in those spaces in between physical matter. Maybe another quote would help you. Receiving ourselves mindfully, moment by moment, as gift, flowing from the depth of the ultimate giver, and giving all we are back in thanksgiving makes us realize that we are immersed in the life of the Blessed Trinity. What characterizes, what characterizes our moment in history is the collapse of Christian theism. I'm for that with you guys. Gratefulness mysticism makes us realize that Christianity never was theistic, but panentheistic. Faith in God as triune implied this from the very beginning. Now we're becoming aware of it. It becomes obvious at the same time that we share this Trinitarian experience of divine life with all human beings as a spiritual undercurrent in all religions. An undercurrent older and more powerful than the various doctrines that we've created. At the core of interreligious dialogue flows the shared spirituality of gratefulness, a spirituality strong enough to restore our broken world unity. That's from Brother David Steindl Rast, and he is uh, a Benedictine brother. These are two attempts, two theologians, two quotes at... Uh, trying to explain and expand on this really, I'll say, simple word or simple idea, concept of omnipresent. But this is really trying to flush that out, right? What, what is the impact of God being so intricately wound up in his creation? What's the impact of that? Before we go to the text before we sit with some scripture where these theologians have come to these conclusions as well as the bearded fat dude in front of you. We're going to sit with some of these verses. But before we do that, it would be nice if we could pray, if we could center. And the way, friends, that we're going to do that today is through chant. And I know some of you have participated, some of you have participated uh, during our contemplative Sundays um, this might be weird for some of you, but I ask that you would suspend judgment, recognize what's happening as we unify, as we find harmony, as we find resonance with one another, as we become unified. So, I will begin this chant. Feel free to join me. Still and 
Creator God, maker of the universe, creator of the heavens and the earth, definer of love, author of life. Creator of shalom, of wholeness. We open ourselves to you. We open our hearts to you. We open our minds to you. May your love increase. May our capacity for love increase. May our capacity to receive love increase. May our ability to see the way you do increase. God, so many of us come into this moment today with attached stories. So many of us have walked into this space this morning with bad theology. (laughs) I thank you that we don't have to feel guilty or shame, but that you can grow in us. May the spirit of the Christ grow in us. May the light of the Christ increase in us for a world that so desperately needs it. God, I'm reminded that today is the hundredth day of war in Israel. And unfortunately, it's not the only place on this planet where destruction is happening. Forgive us for the role we play. Forgive us for the systems we've created. Forgive us for not seeing the Christ in all. 
Thank you for hearing our prayers. Amen. Selfishly, I love doing that with you guys. I hope that you enjoy the chant as well. It's such a unifying experience. Well, I do have one more quote from you, for you, from an early, early church father, um, known as uh, one who um, was kind of the father of Orthodox, if you will. And this is, I think, Catherine might have even talked about him at one point. But this is another quote from uh, St. Athanasius. God was consistent in working through one man to reveal himself everywhere, as well as through the other parts of his creation, so that nothing was left devoid of his divinity and his self-knowledge, so that the whole universe was filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters fill the sea. I have a tendency to romanticize the early church mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. And what I realize is I'm jealous of the time that they had to focus and meditate and contemplate the things of the divine because their world maybe was a little bit slower. But I'm pretty sure that my comfortable butt would not want to live <laughs> at their time. But I'm, I'm baffled when I see some quotes like this from the early church family. What did they see? How did they come to these conclusions? What did they sit with? What did they wrestle with? What did they think about when they sat in the desert by themselves? So with that, I've collected a handful of verses that many of us know, we've heard, maybe, depending on what aspect of our tribe you grew up in, maybe some of you memorize these verses, or you know it from song. But I want us to sit and think about and consider the implications This is from the opening in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was a formless and desolate emptiness. And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. Now, before I start reading some more text, this is the very opening of Genesis, the very opening of the first 66 books, and something that we need to remember about an oral tradition is that the listener participates differently. They are listening for themes for repetition, for imagery, what maybe we would call today for Easter eggs, right? So I read that text from Genesis for you today, listener, in the hopes that you would participate differently today, that you would listen for themes, for repetition, 
for imagery, for Easter eggs. It's from the opening of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not grasp it. Same section from the message version. The word was first. The word present to God. God present to the word. The word was God in readiness from day one. Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without him. What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. The lifelight blazed out of the darkness, and the darkness couldn't put it out. This is from Paul's sermon uh, at Mars Hill that they would seek God if perhaps they might feel around for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. As even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his descendants. that they might feel around for him and find him. What imagery comes in your mind when you hear that? Reminds me of somebody in the dark. For in him we live and move and exist and breathe and find meaning and find grounding, grounding, find harmony. Again from Paul in Ephesians, regarding his plan of the fullness of the times to bring all things together in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. I'm going to pause for a second because I know many of us in here struggle with some religious guilt, with some religious shameful baggage that tells us somehow we have to earn worthiness or that if I can just do these Christian things or just do this action, then maybe I would be worthy. To you, I speak these words of truth and life. He is not far from each one of us. For in him we live 
and move and exist regardless of your doubts, regardless of your false identities you carry around, regardless of any of it. In him, we live and move and exist. Again, Paul to the church in Corinth, when everything is reconciled in him, God will be in all. Just sit with that idea. It is assumed in this verse that everything is being reconciled. Everything is being put back together. Because God is in it. If you've read any of Richard Rohr, listened to any of his talks, he likes to use this phrase that God loves things by becoming them. If the nature of God is infused into everything in all of creation, how could any of us still hold on to this idea that this place is going to hell and I get a little ticket and I get out of here? Because it's all good. It's all an extension of God. Who am I? Who are you to call something bad that which the divine has already determined to be good? Who am I? Who are you to draw a line in between nations, in between people who have different skin color? who talk differently, who act differently. Who am I and who are you to divide that which the Father has made whole? Free will. (laughs) From Paul again in Colossians. There is only Christ. He is everything And he is in everything. For some of you that might be still holding on to uh, Jesus Christ, what we're doing here is separating Jesus, the man who lived and died 2,000 years ago and rose again, from the Christ that was there at the beginning, that John is talking about in that opening that he is everything, and he is in everything. Again, from Colossians, all fullness is found in him. Through him, all things are reconciled. Not just the people who prayed a prayer, not just the people who showed up on Sunday, but even those people that you said that wasn't allowed in, He's in them too. And maybe that's how the Christ suffers amongst us. Is in a flesh sack that isn't willing to show its light. All fullness is found in him. Through him, all things are reconciled. 
everything in heaven and everything on earth. I'll tell you right now, this section we're getting into in John, I, I think I quote it at least every Sunday that I'm up here, if not every other Sunday. But this has held on to me and caught my attention from the get-go. This is Jesus in the Gospel of John talking with his disciples, praying to the Father, specifically to his disciples. He says, On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. A couple chapters later, he says, I'm not asking on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may also be one, just as you, Father, and me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I also have given to them, so that they may be one just as we are one, I and them and you and me, and that they may be perfect, perfected in unity. Have you guys had the concept in your mind yet? Have you had the experience with God yet? God as a relationship like this? This is Intimacy. Don't miss that. If we catch what this is saying, it's saying that you and I are made for union with the divine. And it doesn't stop there. This is shalom. We're made for union with one another. No shame, no pretense, no falsehoods. We're made for union with the created order. pretty hippie, isn't it? <laughs> I can see why so many generations and cultures, especially ours, why we would reject. Maybe not reject, that sounds so adversarial. But why we would emphasize other more black and white objective things to interact with and create a religion around. But you start talking about unity you start talking about how we all have the shared source, and that disrupts systems, and that disrupts the powers that be. And this is why they killed Jesus. I mean, this is the weekend we're talking about MLK, right? Like, this is why they killed MLK. Why? Oh, because we're all equal? No, we can't have that. It's the lie since the beginning, friends. May they be one as I am in you and you are in me. May they also be in us. And what's the byproduct? So that the world may believe. We know division. We know divisiveness. We know destruction. We know death. And there's something about when people are unified. Like, look around today, guys. Like, why are we all here together? Like, we probably, most of us shouldn't be hanging out, I would imagine, in terms of our society. But what can unify us? The Christ. And I see it in you, in you, in you. 
And I'm sorry, forgive me for when I don't see the Christ in you. Forgive me when I don't serve the Christ in you. I'm sorry. I lost my place. Let's go back to Jesus and John. It's from the message. Jesus once again addressed them. I am the world's light. No one who follows me stumbles around in the darkness. I provide plenty of light to live in. It's a great, it's a great one, isn't it? Also from Jesus in the message version in Matthew. Here's another way to put it. You, us, friends, you are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You will prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Remember I mentioned at the beginning about, about oral tradition and listeners, that we participate differently, right? We're listening for themes and, and imagery. The light of the world, John calls him, that was created in Genesis, Jesus now here says, I am the light of the world. And then what does he do? He extends it to us. Why? Because we're one. That light has been extended to us. I gotta pause again. If any of you grew up, I'm probably talking to my own uh, religious upbringing and trauma right now. But if any of you were were grown, you grew up in a uh, reformed theological household, Calvinism, that taught something so heretical as to say that that which God made good, that it is totally deprived. Some of you grew up under a system that told you you were not good, that there was nothing good in you that would choose God. And I'm calling BS because the text says otherwise. We are all made in the image of God, regardless of what you profess, regardless of what you claim to know, the spark is in you. According to Jesus here, we're all meant to shine, but the reality is the world sucks. <laughs> and I often choose not to shine. And sometimes it doesn't even feel like it's a choice. It feels like somebody's already made the choice for me because of the quote-unquote sins that have been done to me. Brian and I, uh, a couple years back, were talking about this concept and idea of all of us having this light. And we came up with this imagery, and I think it's so beautiful. But it seems like as life goes on, and you traverse negativity, and you participate in a little bit, 
and you get judgy and you start doing the us and them stuff, our light becomes dim. But it's as if it gets calcified. Can you guys imagine that? We live in Ventura with hard water, right? Like, can you imagine the calcification process happening over our lights? For some of us in here, it's happened so much that we forgot that we too have the light. But what I love is I learn about frequencies and energy and the way things move. Do you guys know that with the right frequency, that any kind of calcification can just be shaken off? Sound. Isn't that wild? God spoke life into existence. Sound, that vibration, that resonance. There's a reason when you hear things from up front, sometimes it doesn't sit right. That could be your own crap you're sitting in, but it also may not be resonating with this light that the text is talking about in every 66 books. I'm going to read you a text out of the book of wisdom. For some of you, this might be the first time you've heard of the book of wisdom. It is apocryphal. Uh, it is uh, not in the 66 uh, canonized books that the evangelical church uses, but it is still used in many of our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters churches as well as in the Catholic church. So for some, they do not give this authority or believe that it is inspired by God. I don't hold that view. I believe it comes from the divine. But you are merciful to all, for you can do all things. And you overlook people's sins so that they may repent, for you love all things that exist and detest none of the things that you have made. Pause for a second. What do the other texts tell us? That everything that was made came through Christ. So you detest none of the things that you have made. For you would not have made anything if you hated it. How would anything have endured if you had not willed it? Or how would anything not called forth by you have been preserved? You spare all things, for they are yours, O Lord, you who love the living. For your immortal spirit is in all things. Therefore, you correct little by little those who trespass, and you remind and warn them of the things through which they sin so that they may be freed from wickedness and put their trust in you, O Lord. If you've read Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, the Book of Wisdom fits right in with that genre, by the way. Oh, to the last book of the Bible. So many of our brothers and sisters are obsessed with this book. I can't think of any other story in which we would want to rush right to the end to figure out what's going to happen. And if we don't understand the beginning, how in the world do you think we're going to understand the end? 
Oh, goodness, I got to say it. I got a text this morning from, uh, I'm on a family group chat, and uh, a family member that I married into uh, put out, it was sweet, God bless her, um, but put out a, a little text about a sermon uh, said, and this is how it's all going to end. And it was like a series on Revelation, and it was so certain, and was looking for all these signs, and I don't know, they're all waiting to get out of here with their ticket, like I said. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't need to include that. Um, let's get to Revelation, though. And I think I actually mentioned this last week. For those of you that uh, interact with the Bible uh, more than just Sunday, read the first three chapters of Genesis, read the last three chapters of Revelation. They bookend beautifully. Everything else in the middle is just commentary on how we get there. Right? God says it's all going to work out. It's not our timing. It's on, on, on its timing, his timing, their timing. But it's all going to work out. I'm making the whole of creation new. It will come true. It's already done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, both the beginning and the end. That's the voice behind all these other verses telling us that we're one, that we're loved, that we're a part of it, that we fit, that we belong. This is the same voice that says it's already done. to Paul in Romans. I know you all have sung this. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is in Christ. Paul uses that phrase over 164 times in Christ. In Christ. Here's a quote from Rohr In Christo, in Christ seems to be Paul's code word for the gracious, participatory existence of salvation, the path that he so urgently wanted to share with the world. Succinctly put, this identity means humanity has never been separate from God, unless and except by its own negative choice. All of us, without exception, are living inside a cosmic identity already in place, that is driving and guiding us forward. We are all in Christo, willingly or unwillingly, happily or unhappily, consciously or unconsciously. Here's another plug for a fantastic book. Rush out and grab it and slow down and read it. <laughs> This idea that God, there's nowhere I can go to escape God. 
this idea that the image of God is in everything and everywhere is one that is all over the text. We could spend hours here today just doing what I did today, just cherry-picking verses for you. But I hope that I picked some good ones for you to sit with, to consider, to contemplate. Here are the stakes. Here's here's what's, uh, what's up for grabs with you if you do this. When we replace our old filter of us and them, our old filter that said this is sacred and somehow that is secular, with this new filter that sees the Christ everywhere, you begin to get what Dallas Willard called a God-saturated view of the world where everything you see is the image of God. And friends, I can tell you, I'm an idealist, so I'm sure I'm selling this like, oh, it's just really easy, and you just look through this lens and everything will be great. You got to practice this. You got to make a conscious effort every day, every hour, every minute to remind yourself that you are participating in a universe that is participating for you, for your goodness, for your wholeness, for your abundance. Not prosperity gospel. Everybody. Everybody. Before I get into my last slide and then transition to communion, I want to make uh, extend an offer. Um, y'all know Ventura's pretty gorgeous, right? This is... <sighs> my goodness. I... I uh, yeah, I almost pee myself every morning driving my kids to school. It's so beautiful here, like seeing the islands. And um, one of my most favorite spots uh, that I found when I moved out here um, is the little estuary that's over by the water treatment center off Spinnaker. So Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock, if anybody would like uh, to meet at Spinnaker and, oh gosh, I wrote it down on a piece of paper. I don't know. Here, hold on. Now I'm supposed to find it. (laughs) Spinnaker and Angler. Angler Court. A-N-G-L-E-R. If anybody at 9 a.m. on Tuesday morning wants to meet there, uh, you can meet me there, and we will go for a walk. And... uh, Our goal is to walk around like kids with eyes wide open and to see the Christ everywhere, beckoning for us to interact. Tuesday morning, 9 o'clock, I recognize for a lot of you, you're like, I'm starting work, you're a jerk. We'll figure out other times. I'll be in the the little connection corner uh, after church. If anyone wants to talk about that, we can exchange numbers. But Tuesday morning at 9, let's go walk around with eyes wide open, you know? But I want to leave you with these two thoughts, and then invite you to participate in the table, in the banquet. So, thought one, my conclusion, not just from the verses I shared with you, but from studying this book a little bit, from reading it a couple times, is that God is participating with, in, and through all things. My question for us is can you accept that you and everyone else has already been accepted? Can you accept 
Let me go back to that verse. Am I? I'm making the whole of creation new. It will come true. It's already done. Can you accept that when you're interacting with the jerk, with the butthole in front of you who's slamming his brakes? <laughs> with the politician yelling and screaming whatever lies are coming out today from whatever side. <laughs> Can you remember that? That you're accepted and that they're accepted as well. Next week, we'll create another pot, another container uh, for my teaching friends. Uh, and next week, you'll have somebody different by the... Oh, no. Next week's my last one. Yeah, and then the following week, you'll be done with this guy and you can get a different flavor. I hope that you guys will enjoy that. Hey, transitioning into communion in light of today's message. Oh, do we have that communion slide too, please? Thanks. There will be some like instructions and stuff and tell you that it's gluten-free and all that. And, but I want you to come to the table remembering, thinking, considering about this idea that you are already accepted. You are already accepted. There's nothing you have to do. In fact, there's nothing you can do. And even if you don't want it, you can only separate it up here until the calcification process goes away and you recognize again your true identity as a son or daughter of the Almighty. And that's not because you prayed a prayer, but it's because the Christ is the blueprint and is creating all. And the Christ cannot hate the Christ. Come on. You are loved. You are held. You are beloved. You are a part of the divine. When Jesus was, when the Christ was here in Jesus on earth, and he walked around and he showed us what that invitation looked like lived out, he went around to every single group, especially those that had been told that they were unclean or not good or outsiders. The creation itself had taken it upon themselves to define the creation of the creator. Do you guys track with that? It's so interesting. The creation itself decided to say what was good and what was bad, who was in and who was out. And so, of course, the Christ had to put on flesh and say, no, let me go show them what it looks like. And you get these images. Uh, you get two parables from Jesus, I think both in Matthew and in Luke, where he talks about the wedding banquet. And you get this image at the end where, like, you know, people are showing up and they're fighting over stuff and this and that. And the, the, the thrower of the party is not satisfied with those kinds of guests. So he says, go out into the streets and grab whoever you can find. Why? Because you're all invited. You're not second fiddle. They had, to, they had to navigate through their cultural BS. And then what's the conclusion? I don't even want those people. <laughs> They're still calcified. That light isn't shining yet. Again, it's not that God doesn't want them, but they don't even realize that they're participating in the banquet with you. We're all there. That same invitation is available today. It's right here. When Jesus was here on earth, he took an old tradition from the, the Jewish culture, from the Passover, 
and he, he put a new, fresh spin on it. And he said that it's available for anybody, and that when you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you are participating in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. You are becoming one just as he prayed. So I'm going to pray that prayer over us, and then you are invited to come up and participate in the table. Come up as you feel led. You can take it back to your seat and eat it and drink. You can take it right here. At the very end, once it's trickled down, I'll do one more prayer, and then we'll do some songs and get out of here, all right? Cool. So that prayer that Jesus prayed for you and I in the 17th chapter of John was this. Father, my prayer is not just for them, but for those future believers, for those future ones that will believe by hearing this message, this name. Father, may they be one, just as I am in you and you are in me. May they also be in us so that the world may believe. This is just bread and wine. It's physical. It's material. But there's something that we believe beautiful that is, is happening and being exemplified here, and it is the meeting of the material and the spiritual. Exactly the life of Jesus led by the Christ. Exactly the life that has been extended and offered to us. That we live materially, but also through the Spirit. Those two worlds and dimensions can overlap. Creator God, we thank you for this day, for your love, for your goodness. We thank you for the idea, concept, system of shalom. Do what you got to do to help us participate better. We thank you for the cup. We thank you for the bread. We thank you that you are a relational and participatory God. Thank you for being so close. Thank you for being the very air I breathe. May we come to recognize that we live and breathe and find our existence in you. Amen. Come on down. Thank you.